This is Greg Lazinski, and you're listening to Baseball BBQ. Hi, this is Gary Mack of the Mets Musings Podcast, and you're listening to Jeff and Len on Baseball and Barbecue, one of my favorite podcasts, and I know it's one of yours, too. The only problem is, after I get done listening to it, I'm hungry. All right, guys, take it away. Hear ye, hear ye, my royal subjects, or should I say our royal subjects, you are listening to episode number 37 of Baseball and BBQ. I am Len Aberman, and this is Jeff Cohen, and the intro really fit, because tonight... We are joined by baseball royalty. Jeff, there are certain there are certain players that stand out when you root for a team. Yes. The nineteen eighty six Mets. Mookie Wright. Mookie Wilson hits that ball, goes under Bill Buckner's legs. Mookie Wilson, no matter what he did before or what he did after, he is always Cherished and loved, and baseball royalty for your team. Right. Right? Mookie Wilson at that moment is enshrined. You, you, you think Mookie Wilson, that's the play you think. Right. I'm going to say to you, 1969, New York Mets. Yes. Okay? And yeah, there are great moments in the World Series. But if I say to you, Game 4. Uh-huh. Game on the line. Yes. Brooks Robinson, up at bat. Yes. Hits the ball. Yes. The right fielder makes what many consider to be one of, maybe the most, famous catch in baseball, at least for New York Mets fans. Absolutely. Absolutely. Great catch. Who am I talking about? Ron Swoboda. Is Ron Swoboda... New York Mets baseball royalty Absolutely. because of that catch. He's, 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 he's great, yes. Well, tonight, we are we are graced by not not the King of England, not the Queen. Now, we don't have Prince Harry. We don't have Meghan Markle. We don't have, uh, uh, you know, uh, their kids or whatever. Who do we, we have? have? We have baseball royalty. Ron. Swoboda. It was so great to speak to Ron Swoboda. Yeah. It, was, it was like a, a dream come true. You know, uh, here's a guy. 1969, you think about the Mets. Ron Swoboda. How many times have you seen that catch? Oh. And you know? <laughs> we, I'm laughing because I know, I know, I know what you're going to say. We had, we were fortunate <laughs> Enough to talk with Ron Svoboda for about 45 minutes. Very generous with his time. Very affable. Very, a great guy to talk to. We didn't talk about the catch. Well, I guess we just assumed everybody knows about the catch. Right. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, the, he wrote this book. All right? Here's the catch. <laughs> Here's the catch, okay? If you don't know about that catch, you're not reading this book, okay? 
even though there are great stories in this book, if you don't know about that catch, you're not buying here's the catch. Well, you should, but everybody should. Because it's a, it's a memoir of the Miracle Myth and more. He talks about his time as even with Montreal and with the Yankees. But obviously, most of it's, it's, it's the Mets. His growing up uh, in Baltimore, being a Baltimore Orioles fan. You know what I want to... Actually, you know what I want to do with this podcast? I just thought of it. When you said everybody should buy this book, there are authors, or there are books, that, and they used to, there used to be a show, and everybody will know the show. I'm talking about the Oprah Winfrey show. Uh-huh. If she would mention a book, or she would promote a book, went to number one on the New York Times bestsellers list. It was like a guarantee. It was gold for an author. If you were an author and you wanted your book to get, you know, the most purchases and reads and be number one on best, you know, on the New York Times list, you 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 were hoping that Oprah would mention your book. I want baseball and BBQ to be that show where an author comes on uh-huh. Okay, and he takes, and we talk about his book, we promote his book, and it goes, BAM! New York Times bestseller list. You that, think we can make that happen? I, I sure hope so. Let's make I it sure happen so. for Ron Swoboda. Well, you can get his book uh, anywhere where great books are sold. Right. Amazon, Barnes & Noble, the independent bookstores. Mm-hmm. Please, uh, if if you're a baseball fan, you don't have to be a Met fan, but if you want to learn about baseball history, 1969, which it was a very big year for baseball, get the book, Here's the Catch. It was a big year for the country. Absolutely, and, yes. And the Mets were part of that. That, it, that. that summer of 69 is just immense. Yes. So uh, without uh, further, I don't want to say do. <laughs> but you did. But I did. <laughs> I Let's get it. to the interview with Ron Sabota. Right after this short break. I'm Ed Randall, and you're listening to Baseball and Barbecue. Thank you, Ed. And if you want to reach the show, give us a call, 516-855-8214. Leave us a voicemail. You can email us, baseballandbbq at gmail.com. Leave a comment on our Facebook page. Or you can check out our website, www.baseballandbbq.weebly.com. We are honored to have with us on Baseball and BBQ, a World Series champion with the 1969 New York Mets. He has a new book, called, book out called Here's the Catch from St. Martin's Press. Even though he had a nine-year career with three teams, he has said he didn't have a career, he had a catch. He had a, he had a pretty good career. It is our pleasure to have with us Ron Fabota. Ron, thank you for joining us. Yeah, you Hope all is well. Thanks, Ron. Ron, I really enjoyed your book. Uh, it was really great. It, it's very genuine. And I see that you uh, there's no co-author or as told to uh, on the cover. So this is all your words. Well, I had been writing for New Orleans Magazine, and, you know, I spent 20 years as a local sportscaster. So I have, you know, I have not written a book, but I have written stuff. I wrote a column for New Orleans Magazine on things New Orleans, um, Oh, geez, 10, 12 years before the storm hit, and um, and and I separated from the magazine. But um, yeah, man. I mean, you know, I care about writing. I I read good stuff. Um, I I wanted to tell this story, and 
and tell it from my perspective. And, and hopefully uh, people would latch on to, you know, me trying to spit it out there in an honest way. That's, that's the only way I would do it. Right. Ron, you know the, uh, you know the movie Jerry Maguire when, uh, when she says you had me at hello? Yeah, I do well, know the movie. Yeah, all right. Tom Cruise and uh, and um, Renee Zellweger. Give me the money. Right. No. <laughs> right. Well, I I opened. This your... wasn't about that. This was about trying to tell a story um, that I felt like only I could tell from my perspective. And uh, um, I, you know, it was a couple of years of writing stuff. Um, there was a guy. Um, there, there is a guy, Jamie Malinowski. I got hooked up with him through my agent, um, who helped me edit this stuff, winnow down this pile of stuff I had into um, into a book because I didn't know what a book was. You know, I had no idea. Uh, I've always written stories. This, you know, this book is a series of stories about my early life, my crazy uncles that worked in the morgue. Um, my, you know, my Chinese step-grandfather who was a wonderful guy and loved baseball and, you know, and of course 1969 and, and that little run we got on and the catch. Well, what I was, and it's fantastic, and what I was going to say is, whereas in that movie she says you had me at hello, I opened this book and you had me at the dedication because... <laughs> I, I, if, I, if, you, if you'll allow me to read this, it says, I am the joyful and humble benefit, and really my hero, my wife of 54 years, Cecilia, who gave me two great sons, Ron Jr. and Brian, and made me one of the most fortunate souls who could say he's been loved every second of his life. It's beautiful. You grew up in the Baltimore area. Has baseball always been in your blood? Uh, yeah, pretty much. Um, you know, as a kid, you know, I, I did anything that resembled baseball that I could do. And there are a lot of games you can play by yourself uh, that, you know, if you put them all together, uh, are the skills of baseball. I, I lived on a road that you could go out there and pick up rocks and hit them across the street into the woods with a broom handle that your mother wondered where the hell the broom was. But I saw the handle off, and, you know, and that was my little game, and then I threw balls up against the step and played by myself for hours. And, and I think more than anything was the idea that I loved the zen of practice. Uh, otherwise, I don't think I could have progressed. I, I didn't think for a second that I brought some sort of, uh, you know, amazing ability or unique ability to it, uh, except for the fact that I like to practice. So I did it, I did it my whole, whole youth, I played 
Right, right. Well, when you got called up to the majors in, in 65, you played for Casey Stengel, who couldn't pronounce your last name correctly. Uh, <laughs> you must have a big story or two about Casey. Well, I love the guy, and, and I thought no one could have done the job he did for a team as terrible as the Mets. You know, an expansion back then, you know, without free agency meant you were going to have you know, a terrible team, and they were, obviously, um, the 1962 New York Mets, who lost 120 games, are the gold standard for, you know, ineptitude at the major league level, sure. and, and uh, Casey managed that team, and they lost, a, you lose 120 games, you know, Casey supposedly said to them at the end of the year, he said, you know, I know you guys you guys lost 120 games, he said, but I want you all to keep this in mind. I don't want anybody to take this personally. I want you always to remember it was a team effort. <laughs> Good luck. And, you know, he was fired by the New York Yankees for, you know, for being 70 years old. Yes, they right. made it clear that, you know, you couldn't be that old and manage a big league team. When he got hired by the New York Mets, you know, he had a press conference and said, you know, they fired me for being 70, but I'll, I'll never make that mistake again. You know, he was brilliant, and he was great to me as a, as a young player. He put me out there, you know, he said, you can't. You can't learn how to hit those guys sitting on the bench. He said it in that gravel voice, you know. That the same thing he said on opening day, 1965. I'm sitting there. We're getting beat by the Dodgers. Don Drysdale's on the mound, you know. And I'm sitting there thinking, I got a pretty good seat for all of it. And I hear Stengel go, Sabota, get a bat. You know, I mean, he wants me to pinch hit against Don Drysdale. And I'm like, I'm not really ready for this. But... What are you going to do? Right. You know, you're going to go up there and uh, you're going to go up there and hit and try to act like this is the thing you were born for, and you're so scared you think people can see you shaking. You know, and you and you get your helmet on and you walk up there and Drysdale, you know, step in the box and he throws me two fastballs. <laughs> I haven't seen them yet. Now I tried to swing at the second one, but you know, I'm a couple of beats behind it, and I'm thinking. The good news here is that this doesn't seem like it's going to take long, and, you know, he throws me a slider that I could actually see, and I hit it on the line to second base, Jimmy Lefebvre, who would be that year's National League Rookie of the Year, he catches it, I'm out, I'm going down the first baseline, take my little right turn into the dugout, and I'm, I was like, Dude, you can have the out. I just hit a line drive up and down and drive down. That's the best out I ever made in baseball. Sure, it must be a thrill. Oh, are you, you kidding me? I mean, it was like, holy crap. <laughs> Unbelievable. It's like uh, it's like in Little League when you when you you know you finally get a piece of one and you're just happy that you know it it's you fly <laughs> out, but or you you get a ground ball, but at least you didn't strike out and and you. He had a line drive to second baseman off Don Drysdale. Yeah. So that, that was... And the second time up was when the um, Astros came to Shea Stadium, the second series of the season, and I got to pinch it in extra innings against Dirk Farrell, who had started the game, and he throws me a first pitch fastball, and I juice it over the left field fence. There I mean, go. way over the left field fence. It's probably one of the longest home runs I ever hit. And, and uh, you know... And, 
percentage is 2,000. I should have quit then. <laughs> and, I, and I love the story uh, when, when, the, when the fan offered you back the ball... Right? Can I say that? Tell that, please. <laughs> Can you, you know, I can't believe I really said that. But I had read a story about Babe Ruth, who came from Baltimore, like I did, and, of course, ended up playing right field for the New York Yankees, like I did. And, of course, the comparisons start breaking down quickly after <laughs> after that. But, but uh, you know, the guy said, this is the ball. And I said, that can't be the ball. And he says, what do you mean? I said, you couldn't have got back this fast. You know, and he goes, I, I wasn't into collecting anything. It was the first home run, and I don't take the ball. And I'm like, you know, how many years down the road, you're, you're like, what in the hell were you thinking? You know, it's like, oh, well, you know, what I did end up with is at a card show one time, a guy had, he had a perfectly kept scorecard from that game where I hit that first home run. And I traded him a ball for the scorecard, and I'm sitting in my office, and that thing is stuck up on the wall here, you know, as a piece of memorabilia that um, that, that I'm very glad I have. <laughs> for our uh, for our listeners, uh, we are speaking with Ron Swoboda, or as Casey Stengel called him, Ron Saboda, uh, author of Here's the Catch. And one of the things that I love about this book... Um, Sometimes people tell you stories about their family members, and you just, you're like, oh, please, stop. And I'm reading about your family members, and all I could think about is, no, I want to know more. I want to know more. I wanted to know more about your uncles. I wanted to tell, uh, I wanted to know more about um, the, the, uh, the, the uncle, I guess, right, he, he owned the Chinese restaurant, or he... My Chinese step-grandfather, yeah. who was okay. a wonderful guy. Right. Who, uh, you know what's cool is, you know, of course, I learned to use chopsticks when I was about 10 years old, and he was a great cook, and, and uh, Cantonese, okay? There's a little Chinese place here in New Orleans, in a little strip mall called Chinese Kitchen. If you go get the egg roll... And, uh, the, uh, you know, uh, the um, um, uh, pork fried rice and mugu gai pan, you know, it's bok choy and, and, and chicken part pieces. If you get those, those three dishes, they are exactly as my grandfather made them. He used to roll his own egg roll, and, 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 and I found a place that could make that Cantonese stuff just like exactly like he made it and you know that's been my place since i've lived in new orleans where i go for chinese i'm not for the modern stuff mm, yeah. and i know there's some great stuff out there but right. this is this is the chinese food that i'm after yes ron you once uh, casey retired in uh, 65 due to a broken hip you played for west western and salty parker but then in 1968 gil hodges came along you admit in your book that your relationship with him wasn't the best Basically, your styles clash. Could you tell us why you didn't, you didn't click with Gil? You know, I've been thinking about it a long time. Uh, you know, I've been thinking about all this stuff a long time, and, and that's the toughest one for me to figure out. I, I think um, I've always had a little fractious relationship with uh, authoritarian figures, um, especially if they kind of lean on me or, you know, push it a little too hard. And, uh, you know, I, I, 
I didn't write this in the book, but I thought about it later. I had had a pretty good year in 1967. Hodges came in 68, and, you know, you knew it was going to be no nonsense, but I sort of knew, I thought I knew how I wanted to approach the game and how I wanted to work before the game and, you know, what I thought I needed to do to get ready, and you know what, it was pretty clear with Hodges, you were going to do it his way, um, or you were going to hit the bricks, okay? You did it his way or the highway, and and um, I sort of bristled at that, you know, and that was on me, because, you know, the final analysis, Hodges was a brilliant baseball mind, as adroit as any, and I played for Gene Mock, who was, uh, you know, reputedly a genius. Hodges was as sharp and on the mark with the moves he made inside a ball game, understanding who was hot, who was the guy for this spot, who was the guy for this moment, and and all he really wanted me to do was to act like a grown-up and, and, and be the best baseball player I could be, and, and you know what, I could do it some of the time, but not all of the time, and I just seemed to figure out ways to piss him off and you know and it wasn't lack of respect it was this authoritarian thing and I've always had trouble with it and it's on me you know and 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 why he's not in the hall of fame I'll never understand that it, it suggests to me something is really wrong with the process yeah I know Len and I agree with you on that that he belongs in the hall of fame absolutely absolutely so let's talk about 1969 it was a it was a time of fantastic change in the world. In politics, we had the Vietnam War and, and the protests. In music, there was a little concert in Bethel, New York, called Woodstock. In science, we had Neil Armstrong, who happens to be Brody Van Wagenen's father-in-law, uh, say those famous words. Really? Yes. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That is right. Say those famous words uh, during a moon landing. And in sports, of course, the New York Mets. Can you reflect on that year and how the Mets were able to rise above to the baseball world? And how weird was it playing against your hometown Baltimore Orioles? Yeah, I think we I think we were a little better than conventional wisdom and uh, did sneak up on the National League. I, th I think we got better than people thought we were early on. I think the deal in June, after we had won 11 straight against the California teams, late May, early June, and... Um, Finished. We started it in Shea against the California teams, finished it up on the coast against those teams. And, and I, think, I think ownership, I think the Met management, Johnny Murphy, our GM, I think, they're, I think they, at that point they went, whoa, this, we're, we're, we are suddenly, you know, relevant here. Let's look for a deal we can make. They had turned down a deal for Joe Torrey with the Braves in spring training because they wanted to get into all of, uh, uh, you know, too much of our young pitching and and uh, Murphy was not ready. He was not ready to give up guys that he wasn't sure what they were all about. So he didn't make the deal, but Clendenin, John Clendenin was available from Montreal and it cost us Steve Rogers, a pretty good young arm, uh, a pitcher who had converted from a, a position player, and and um, he let him go. We get Clendenin in the middle of June, and, and this guy comes in a power hit in first baseman to platoon with Eddie Crankle at first base, and, and, and man, he, he was the missing piece. He was the most important addition, 
after, you know, Seaver Kuzman Gentry and those guys in the rotation and Tug McGraw and Ron Taylor out of the bullpen and Nolan Ryan spot starting and, and you know, and occasionally uh, coming in in relief. Um, you know, it, Clinton was perfect uh, for a lot of reasons. He, he was a he was a clubhouse lawyer. You know, you know what that means. You know, a guy that's in everybody's business, on on everybody in the clubhouse. But he had earned it. Not only that, but he was studying to be a lawyer. Eventually, yes. <laughs> eventually passes the bar and practices law. He's the only clubhouse lawyer I ever heard of who did actually did that. You know, so <laughs> he was perfect. Um, and. You know, and his offense uh, and his power uh, in in uh, behind that pitching and defense was was key, absolute. Yep. So we roll along, you know, and and um, you know, and 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 uh, and capture, you know, and we get into we get into um, August, and we're you know we're 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 playing pretty damn good, and and um, and we can't catch the Cubs. Uh, you know, and they're hanging six. Middle of, middle of August, they're ten games in front of us. We catch them a little bit. We're six games. And, and they're just rolling. It looks, you know, and I've said this to some folks that here we arrive, more or less. We're going to be better. We've improved. Uh, we've made our point uh, as far as improvement. I said, and here we're going to end up as the, uh, you know, pumpkin in somebody else's Cinderella story, you know? And, and... And that's how it went until the last week in August, the first week in September, when the Cubs hit the skids. They hit a they they hit the skids and they went down hard. And and we're playing, we're winning three out of four games, and 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 we blow by them. Really, in less in less than a couple of weeks, we're by them and never look back. And it was a pretty amazing ride, you know, from that point of view. Yeah, you had a couple of uh, really great games. A doubleheader sweep where both end- games ended with no- one nothing with the pitcher driving in both runs. Uh, you yourself, Isn't that amazing? Yeah, Kuzman and, and you know Kuzman and Cardwell. Cardwell, right? You? Cardwell only goes five innings. The bullpen picks him up, but Kuzman goes all the way. Yeah. And both of the starting pitchers each drove in a run, and that's all they needed. One nothing. One nothing. I had a grand slam and helped us win a game, a comebacker against the Pirates, and then. We go to we go to St. Louis for a makeup game, and and uh, it's against the Cardinals and Steve Carlton. You know, and earlier in that year, I you know Carlton had started in Shea Stadium, and I had struck out five times. Not all of it was against Steve Carlton because we beat him there. But he has the he's on his way to the best day of his pitching career. Strikes me out the first time up. They get a one nothing lead. Second time up, he's got two strikes on me and throws me a fastball with a man aboard, and I hit a two-run home run. We go up two to one. He strikes me out again, and uh, they get two more runs. They're up three to two, and uh, with two strikes on me, my fourth time up with a man aboard, I hit a slider over the left field fence, barely makes it over, but I hit a bullet uh-huh. that, uh, that barely gets over the wall. We beat Steve Carlton four to three in a game where he he sets a record with 19 strikeouts at that time, the most in the major leagues. And I'm like, don't ask me to explain to you how it happened. <laughs> um, 
all all I know is I had gone down into the bullpen before the game where the Cardinals had one of the few batting cages in the big leagues then, and in 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 uh, in their in their stadium, and and Ralph Kiner went down there with me and fed me some balls, and he was a pretty good right-handed hitter as well as one of our broadcasters and. He got me kind of, we just talked, you know, how's that look, Ralph? I don't know, how's it feel? Let's see, he's feeding me balls and I'm whacking away. And he said, that looks good, how's it feel? I said, that feels good, how's it look? You know, that kind of thing. And, and it was just, just, just um, aesthetics, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't analytics any more than that. You know, um, it wasn't mechanics, just this, it feel good, it looks good, go with it. And that's how I went into the game and, and uh, you know, the rest of, of course, is, is history. Well, problem has uh, 19 strikeouts, you have four RBIs, wins the game. That's fantastic. It's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. Well, you know, in truth, the definition of a miracle is, uh, it really, it, does, it doesn't make sense. You know, I mean, it, 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 or it wouldn't be a miracle. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Ralph kind of was kind of your personal hitting coach. Uh, didn't have, a, didn't you have a hitting coach on the team? Just that game. I didn't really bother him too much after that. Uh, but for some reason, uh, because they had a cage, and and Ralph was uh, there, I just. I just thought of it. What about I never bothered him because most other places didn't have a cage. So he, he I mean, he wasn't going to—he wasn't going to throw you batting practice, right, but right. he could feed those balls in there, and and that's what we did. Yogi wasn't the, the batting coach for the team. You know, Yogi was uh, <laughs> Yogi was a wonderful hitter and a, and a great coach. Now, but um, Yogi. Um, you know, Yogi's theory was, if you can't hit it, don't swing at it. And and you'd go, well, what about two strikes, Yogi? He said, well, then you might have to swing at it. And, and you're like, yeah, I'm glad you cleared that one up. But, um, um, you know, Yogi knew how to hit. I don't think he was a hitting coach. But um, I do remember one Yogi story from my rookie year when uh, I had what should have been a grand slam home run in old Cincinnati's Crosley Field um, in that year, Casey's managing and Yogi's the first base coach and and John Satoris is the pitcher for Cincinnati and I hit a ball, center field was only 380 some feet away with a yellow line above a, you know, a, it was like a 10 foot high cinder block wall and above that was a wooden barrier above the yellow line and above the yellow line was a home run and I hit one out there and hit that wooden went right down to the ground and you know, Veda Pinson's the center fielder, and he flips it in there like he thought it was a home run. And we're, we score one run. Nobody's running on the bases. And I get an RBI single out of the whole deal. <laughs> Instead of a home run, Yogi runs out there arguing, and he gets thrown out of the game. And after the game, you know, uh, we lose, and... Uh, the reporters all file into the clubhouse, you know, and that old clubhouse is old Cincinnati ballpark is a little place and everybody can hear what's going on and the writers go up to Yogi's locker and they go, hey Yogi, what'd you say to get the heave haul? And as only Yogi can put it, he said, all I told them was, if you couldn't hear that ball hit the wood, you're blind. <laughs> and, everybody, and everybody in the clubhouse went, that's right. That's exactly right. And that was... You know, and that actually happened. Uh, a lot of these, you know, 
Yogi Berra stories, you're not always sure they happen, you know, mm. but, you know, like he would say, if you, if you don't go to your friend's funerals, they won't go to yours. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> or, you know, you go down the road and um, you come to a fork in the road, you take it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, stuff like that. Right, but, yeah. I mean, he did do that stuff. And, mm. and, um, and that one is authentic because it happened and I was there. Well, and you mentioned in the book that you're, uh, I forget the exact quote, but you said something uh, that you were your something is to is is talking about the past or, or something like that right uh i forget what you said exactly but that that's what you are give me a little more um i, I forget it was I, it was it, while, while he's thinking about it let me let me oh, let, me, let me go on you, you cut me off already yes <laughs> all right wait ron ron okay but my point is what i wanted to say to you because jeff is like on fire here um <laughs> Yeah. Is that we we have we do this podcast? We talk to people about it. You know, we tell them who our guests are. Some people know them. Some people don't. I have not met a single. Uh, I won't say baseball fan, although I, I think even baseball fans, but Met fan, okay, lover of the Mets, who when we mention that we're going to be speaking to you, hasn't said y- you're kidding. R- y- Ron Swoboda? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a compliment. Do, yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I lived, on, um, yeah. I lived a long time in the New York area. Um, I was on the Mets and the Yankees and, you know, Channel 2 for like, uh, you know, a little over four years. And when I started my broadcast career, which was, I was fortunate enough that it lasted about 20 years on local television sports, most of it here in New Orleans uh, on the ABC affiliate. So I was lucky there, uh, you know, to, you know, to get a chance to do it, to be able to scuffle and um, and keep making a living in a really tough business. Um, and, and then uh, I have for the last few years since, uh, oh, geez, uh, mid-90s, uh, I've been the you know, color commentator for the AAA team here. So I'm, I'm, I've been in broadcasting. I've stayed around baseball. Uh, we're affiliated now with the Marlins, and this is the last year of AAA baseball in New York. It, it goes away after this year. The team is moving to Wichita, Kansas, uh-huh. and and that'll probably be it for me. Uh, that's a shame. It's something they need to do, right. and I understand that. they got to go to greener pastures. New Orleans um, just hasn't supported it mm. the way uh, they need it to happen. And, and you know, those things, um, unfortunately, um, it, it makes more sense for them to go elsewhere. Then you'll need to come up with another job. I mean, you're only 75. You've got many more years of working <laughs> life. Right. That's right. You gotta still have a house. If I play more golf, my my wife's gonna have me committed. Um, but uh, um, I, you know, I, I'll, you know, I read a lot. My my big hobby is uh, collecting uh, art books. You know, the kind of art I like, I can't afford. But but the uh, a little bit of art we have around um, our front room here and in the kitchen area is stuff that we have collected over the years and you know I care about 
not, uh, you know, I'm still dangerous in in the Metropolitan Museum with a credit card in my pocket because I, I almost always have to get the catalog and uh, or MoMA or or uh, the Guggenheim when I go to New York. Those places intrigue me, and uh, you know, if I um, if 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 I like the show, if I you know, if I like the art, um, I have to get the catalog. Sure. Uh, Ron, I'm sorry, getting back to 1969 Mets, um, they were unique in a way, it was a team that was more than just a bond among teammates, it was really a brotherhood, I guess a love for each other, that we haven't really seen with any other team. Your roommate was uh, Ed Cranepool, who by the way is doing pretty good uh, with that uh, new kid. He is, absolutely, I saw him uh, less than uh, two weeks ago at uh, Somerville, New Jersey, Eddie is doing great, it's it's thrilling, uh, yes. it's, it's as miraculous, it's more miraculous than 1969 because he found the perfect match and that's a new lease on life for our boy and yes. uh, I couldn't be happier about it, absolutely. he's doing super. That's absolutely true. Uh, our oh yeah. Our Chansky loved New York so much he decided to make it his home. Uh, uh, yeah, I saw Sham there and Cleon Jones. You know, we see we see a little bit of those guys. Uh, Cleon is a good friend, lives over in Mobile. I've I've been over there. Uh, he and I have visited over there, and you know, uh, what will be great. You know, we were a team, and there was no black and white on that team. We just played ball and 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 enjoyed one another, and we were, you know, uh, uh, pretty darn tight. We hung out on the road. Um, you know, we had drinks together. We we clowned around together, and and I, you know, I, I with Ed Charles and and and, and guys, that, you know, Clinton and and right. um, you know, Crane and 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 Tug McGraw was, you know, Tug was special guy, man. Yes, special yes. guy. Yeah, he was uh, really heart and soul uh, from those teams. Oh, uh, geez, I'm yeah. what a wonderful guy, yeah. you know. Jeez, I'm Pete. Uh. Uh, you know, every, uh, every time I see uh, his son Tim, I, it, it looks exactly like him. It's like his twin brother. Um, you know, he, um, when when Tug was uh, you know trying to figure out what the heck happened here with his love child, and and Tim needed some help, and you know they didn't do any blood checks or any of that stuff, so that Tim uh, you know Tim could prove his uh, relationship to Tug. Tim walked in, you know, Tug agreed to meet him in a hotel, and and uh, I think it was here in New Orleans, and when. Uh, and when Tim walked in, you know, Tug was like, no kidding. <laughs> that's, that's my boy. Yeah. Uh, you know, there was no doubt about it. it, it, it those McGraw looks, um, uh, classic, classic. Yeah, and could Tug sing as well as Tim, though? <laughs> Not at all. No, but uh, I'll tell you, I, I got to go be before... I think it's before um, uh, Tim and, and uh, Faith Hill had any kids. She was pregnant and having a difficult pregnancy. But up in Monroe, Tim Tim McGraw had built this uh, sports complex where he spent. That's where he did most of his growing up um, uh, in in Ravel, just outside of Monroe in Louisiana. And my oldest son and I, Tug, gave me a call. They put on a concert up there with like Martina McBride and a bunch of uh, you know country singers before they became great stars. But Tim and Faith Hill, uh, you know, were there, and and she was struggling with a pregnancy. And uh, you know, at one point, she was in the middle of her of her of her 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 song and had to get had to had to walk down off the stage, and he had to run out there, and they had to figure out how to you know he he knew what to 
out there trying to do it. These are the most decent, grounded people you could ever meet. Faith Hill and Tim McGraw are, you know, as, as, as regular as you would ever imagine, despite all the superstardom and whatnot. Just wonderful people. That's, that's, that's great to hear. It really is. You, you know, you write in your book that not only were the players close, but the spouses and girlfriends were, were, were just as close. In fact, there was a, a reunion a few years ago, right? You t- could you tell us about that? Well, my wife Cecilia and um, and, and and Nolan Ryan's wife uh, Ruth and and Nancy Seaver uh, got a little bit of this, uh, but they they in 2011 when Nolan was um, when he was uh, involved with the Texas Rangers, the Met wives. Uh, had a reunion for themselves by themselves they just everybody got in touch on the on the uh, internet my wife was a big part of that and ruth ryan you know she was unbelievable she just said you girls get here to texas and uh, i'll take care of the rest and they just had a wonderful weekend where they revisited those good old times and one of my favorite parts of the book to write was interviewing these women and asking them about what, what it meant to, to be young wives in the Big Apple for the first time in the middle of something um, um, like a major league season and, and 1969. And they were, they were so articulate because, you know, we were playing ball and, you know, half the time you're out of town. And, and, and baseball's one of those games that's, uh, you know, it's, it, it, it takes so much of your being, uh, even when you're home, you're not all there. And, and the women, we didn't really appreciate what it meant to have them taking care of business while we were out there playing this little boys game. And like, like Art Shamsky's first wife uh, uh, said, Randy is her name, and, and, sh- and she said, a great quote, she said, uh, you guys got to be young. <laughs> We had to learn how to be adults, <laughs> and I'm like, "Yup, <laughs> that's right." <laughs> so you know, I was that was the thing that I knew less about was what the women felt about their reunion, what they felt about their time back in 1969, and in New York when they were young and from somewhere else. You know, that was that was a fun ride for me because I. You know, I learned a lot. You know, I, I knew what the other stories were because I lived them. Right. But I didn't live that, and they were they were all really great. And 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 I I I loved the piece that I got to write about that reunion. And and I really enjoyed reading it. That was uh, one of the more fascinating parts of the book for for me because I I've heard all the stories over the years, uh, but never knew about this kind of reunion for the ladies. It was just. That was just wonderful. I mean, I, I heard uh, the oh. stories uh, when you were stuck in Montreal. I mean, we can get to the moon, but we can't get to, back to New York. And those yeah. stories. Yeah, that was, uh, you know, look, we got to see uh, Neil Armstrong walk on the moon live on television because, you know, our United Charter had a, you know, had a mechanical problem and uh, we had to wait for him to fix it. And so we repaired to the lounge, and we were in there having some drinks when, uh, you know, Neil Armstrong took his uh, small step for man, giant leap for mankind, you know, and irony is not lost on us that um, we can't get from Montreal to New York, and here's Neil Armstrong leaving footprints on the moon. 
Right. You know? I know. <laughs> that kind of stuff sticks with you. Yeah. You know, that kind of stuff stays with you forever, and that's, those are the kind of stories I, w I wanted to tell, because I had been telling those stories at after-dinner deals and, you know, visiting with Kiwani clubs here in New Orleans. I do a lot of uh, outreach, community outreach for the baseball team here, and, you know, I tell some of those stories, and I'd never written them down, and there was a friend of mine here who, you know, I'd have a drink with every once in a while, and we'd talk about this stuff, and tell some stories and he said you gotta write these down and I was not feeling compelled you know I you know I just didn't I, I thought you know I'm, I, it's fun for me to tell these stories to people who are interested in and he said now this guy's more of an entrepreneur than I'll ever be and he said well look if you don't write all this stuff down by the and have it ready for the 50th anniversary nobody's gonna buy it and I went no. I get that, you know, <laughs> I get that, <laughs> so, so he got me, he put the, you know, the fire to my feet and, and got me writing, and I, and I, you know, Rob Cook's his name, and, and, you know, part of my acknowledgement was, uh, thanking him for, uh, uh, making his point, because I don't know if I would have gotten moving on it, but I did, and it was great, it was a, it was a total labor of love, um, you know, I love to write. I wanted it to have a voice that sounded like me. And, you know, I, I feel like I got there. And, you know, it's a personal thing. You know, you, you're scared to death. You've told these stories, and they're personal as hell. And you, you want people to read it and, 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 uh, and enjoy it. And, and man, I'm going to tell you, uh, and, until, you know, uh, until you get a few reviews and people are very kind about it and have been very kind about it, I feel a little better, you know, that, that the reception's been good. I feel, I feel like, man, they got it. They got what I was, was going for, you know? Well, the book is very genuine. It's called Here's the Catch by Ron Kavoda. Uh, Ron, I have one more question. You've been very generous with your time. Sure. Thank you very much. Uh, one more question for you. Uh, you spent yep. half the season with Montreal before coming back to New York with the Yankees. You know, you're only one of only one of 135 players who've been playing for both Mets and Yankees. So, how was your time in the Bronx? Oh man, I can tell you this: um, we weren't very good. Uh, you know, we were okay, but not very good. Um, but uh, you know, I played in old Yankee Stadium um, with the monuments out there and the facade and. I can tell you this, the first time I put on that NY, that pinstripes, and, and walked out on that field, the little short hair stood up on my neck when I looked out at the monuments in center field and up at the facade and, and realized I was a Yankee. And, you know, um, you know, I talked about Babe Ruth and I both coming from Baltimore and, uh, you know, and that, that's, you know, the, that, that's where the comparison uh, stops. But, uh, you know, it was, uh, Ralph Houck was the manager. He was a great man to play for, a World War II veteran. Um, he had been a ranger, um, you know, uh, in Europe in the uh, Fourth Army, I believe. Uh, Audie Murphy was in, in the same army. And, and uh, you know, my dad was a World War II guy. And Joe Hodges was a World War II guy. And get this, um, I didn't know until a couple of years ago, in, in some of my research for the book, um, I picked up a biography of Gil, and, and it talked about 
Island and being on Tinian Island in the Marianas during World War II, they left Tinian in early March 1945, heading for that horrible series of battles in Okinawa. I, I, my dad was a gunner in a B-29. He and his crew landed on Tinian uh, in late March 1945, and they were there for the duration. I never knew that my dad and Gil Hodges were on the same island, but not at the same time. And and I've always wondered if if that would have helped maybe me uh, bridge the gap between me and Gil Hodges, or maybe do you know create some common ground there that would let us get along a little better. Um, maybe I would have smart enough if I had known that. Uh, well, you know. Thank you to your father for, for his service, absolutely. You know, it's a wonderful thing that is serving serve your country. And same thing with, with Gil and, and Ralph Houck. Um, oh, you guys are great. Thanks yeah. a lot, man. Where this is fun. Be, before you go, yeah. where will you be appearing? Uh, and we get, you can get the book anywhere, right? Amazon, oh, um, book stores. You know, we come, to, we come to New York on June 26th, and I'll be, that evening, um, I'll go right out to book review. It's a bookstore in Huntington, Long Island. It's a big bookstore. If you're interested in books, you'll know where it is. Yep, yep, mm-hmm. And um, I'll be at the ballpark on the 2nd. There's a public signing at City Field on uh, July the 2nd. Um, on um, April 1st, I will be out in uh, New Jersey, in Ridgewood, at bookends. So um, that all happens, um, you know, and, and then I'll be at the ballpark um, um, you know, um, uh, for that weekend of, right. uh, of things. I'm going to be at the Air Museum on Thursday, the 27th of, of June, um, at the Air Museum yep. uh, on the island. The, um, a, bunch of, a bunch of us guys are going to be there um, in Coral Place, you know, Roosevelt Field, yep. uh, that uh-huh. uh, that wonderful museum. Uh, Andy Parton runs it. He's a great friend of all of us, and uh, we'll be there for that. Oh, that's, t- that's terrific. Um, we hope to, to we hope run into you in one of these places. Absolutely. If you do, please yell at me, man, and, and uh, remind <laughs> me that we had this conversation, because you guys were great. Thank you. Well, we hope we don't have to remind you. This is uh, <laughs> we, we, we try to leave our mark on people. We have got to ask you. Uh, you do a good job. Thank man. That's you, cool. Ron. It was fun. Thank you very much. And we got to ask you. It's our podcast is baseball and barbecue. So we talk about baseball. We talk about barbecue, and occasionally. Barbecue. We, now yeah. there's a, there you go. Occasionally uh, we run into someone who may have an interest in both. So, you like barbecue, Ron? Um, I, you know, I usually, I cook the steaks on the grill. I'm not a big barbecue guy, but I, but I cook the steaks on the grill. That's I'm the perfect. grill meister here. Uh-huh. You know what? You put pork, good pork ribs out there and you parboil them and you get yourself a good dark uh, barbecue sauce and slap it all over them and cook them on there. You can't go too wrong with no. that, you know? <laughs> you you actually have in Baltimore, um, boob. Uh, who, who, Luke Powell, no. yeah, he's got a barbecue right. joint at, uh, at 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 the ballpark right. in in, in uh, Camden Yards. And, yeah. You know, I cook things.
things now. I'm, 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 um, I can do some New Orleans recipes. I can make a crawfish etouffee. Uh, I can make a, I can make a, a gumbo with like andouille and uh, and turkey. You know, turkey bone gumbo. Um, I can make that. A uh, few other things I can execute. But you can't live in New Orleans and not want to learn how to cook some of that stuff because it's so good. Yeah, New Orleans is one of the places, one of the premier, uh, most well-known places for awesome food. It's always... Oh, we, oh, yeah. you know, we think we invented food, you know <laughs> what I mean? And, 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 of course, it's not true, but, you know, because there's, there's so many, you know, I'm lucky enough to get out and about, and you know, but we, we do our own thing here, and um, it is uh, that Cajun thing, and New Orleans... Uh, you know, red beans and rice and, and, and uh, you, you know, that local fare here. Um, um, my my wife makes a um, jambalaya recipe, and the crazy thing about that is she got her jambalaya recipe from a woman that lives that lived up in, in Hartford, Connecticut. <laughs> really? <laughs> so these things move around, you know you what I mean? never know. Recipes are portable, and uh, and and we uh, we're, we um, we we double team uh, things like that. I'm the chop chop boy, you know. My grandfather would have been my step grandfather would have been proud of me. I'm the chop chop boy. <laughs> Cut up the the mise en place, you know. I'm I'm the guy. And and so, let us be the first. Well, maybe not the first, but we want to wish you an early happy, happy birthday. birthday. So happy birthday. Hey, thanks, man. 75, three quarters of a century. That's uh, that's older than some trees I got in the yard here in New Orleans, you know? <laughs> uh, yeah, guys, Ron, if you've enjoyed this interview, I'm telling you, Go get the book. his book is so good. The stories, they're just... They're so human. They're so f yeah. Well, thank you guys. That's yeah. that's what I was going for. I wanted people to feel like these stories were breathing and 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 had a voice that they recognized. And uh, that's uh, that's you know I, I'm pretty happy with I'm pretty happy with what what we ended up with. Thank well, you, Ron. Well, thank you very much. Uh, we'll see you around the park. Thank you, guys, man. And, uh, have a good evening. Care. Okay, and. Uh, Hopefully we uh, bump into one another um, at, at some of these uh, events around the 1969 guys. We're going to have a good time. Good. We're looking it. forward to it. Thanks, Thanks Ron. Yeah. Thank you, Ron. Yeah, yeah. Bye-bye. Same to you. Take care. Len, I, I really enjoyed doing that. I just can't believe we didn't ask him about the catch. <laughs> That's the name of the book, Here's the Catch, and we did not ask him about the catch. We asked him everything but the catch. We could We could write a book called everything but the catch right <laughs> but you know what it was a, such a enjoyable interview I don't think we missed it I, I really don't it was just so genuine and just speaking to him was just right. just a great experience you know what everybody knows about the catch yes I mean the catch is what he wrote the book and all that but but he also talks about Tommy Agee's catches in game three you know and, mm -hmm. and, and obviously his catch in game four and he talks about how Eddie Yost went out and helped him with the fungos and going back on balls and coming in on balls, going right, going left. So he was, he talks about it in the book. So right. really, get the book yeah. and learn about the catch. Yeah, and, and you know what? If you, if you listen to the, the interview, if you got to the end of that interview and you, it, you know, it's like getting to the end of a meal. If you get to the end of the meal and you're still hungry, hit, hit 
you know, hit hit a McDonald's on your way home or something. If you if you missed listening about the catch, I'm sure there's a podcast out there. Yes. Okay. Uh, maybe uh, Mets musings Mets, with Gary Mack. Mets musings with Gary okay. Mack. If you missed hearing about the the catch, go to Mets musings with Gary Mack. Good friend of the show. You know that. And listen about the catch. Okay. There yeah. you go. <laughs> Excellent. And and then you'll be full. Right. I hope. <laughs> So, Len, uh, that's going to wrap it up for the, this episode. Wow, that was fast. That was a fast episode. But it was it was great. Episode oh. 37. Yes, in the book. So, With Rod listen, Swoboda. If you want to uh, contribute to the show, want to talk about this interview, give us a call, 516-855-8214. Email us, baseballandbbq at gmail.com. Comment on our Facebook page. Facebook page. We will be posting this on Facebook. Also, check out our website, www.baseballandbbq.weebly.com. Right. All right. And with that, we will see you next time. The Orioles have the tying run of third now. The lead run of first with one away. Straight away for him in the outfield. And there's a drive to right center. Swoboda comes up with it. The tie third. Here comes Frank Robinson. The game is tied. Ron Swoboda making another sensational catch for the Mets. J.C. Martin comes up here now. Runners at first and second. Nobody out. He squares to bunt. Bunts the ball. A good one. It's taken now by Rickett. Throws to first. Trying to hit him in the back. Here comes.